her. Our Father, we do come before you now humbly and bow in our hearts to give you praise and honor and adoration for you are deserving of all praise and honor. Lord, we stand in awe of who you are and all that you're able to do and all that you have done in history, all that you continue to do today as you sovereignly rule over your creation. Thank you for the book of Daniel and the privilege we have to gather together as the body of Christ and to study the word. Father, thank you for the truth that's contained therein. I pray that we would uh, get it right, that we would understand what Daniel wrote and that it would penetrate our hearts, Lord, so that it might affect the way that we live. Lord, we come together as the body of Christ to worship you in truth and in spirit. Thank you for the great privilege we have. In the name of Jesus, amen. This is week number 35 in our study in the book of Daniel. Last week we began chapter 9, so we're getting there. And um, we got through about the first eight verses. Uh, this chapter will contain not a vision of Daniel, but rather um, a meeting face to face with an angel which comes <clears throat> in the last part of the chapter but before that and <clears throat> we read where this is the time frame about this is the first year of King Darius who ruled over Babylon and so the time frame is somewhere around 538 uh, BC something like that and Daniel is reading the book of Jeremiah the, what Jeremiah had written of his prophecies some 35 to 40 years previous. So we don't know how Daniel got the manuscript, if Jeremiah gave it to him, or if when the Persians came, maybe somehow they, um, they had it. Um, but anyway, Daniel's reading it um, as um, Darius is ruling. Daniel's still serving in the king's court. And Daniel comes across the passage in Jeremiah that says that the captivity, the destruction of Jerusalem and Judah is going to extend for 70 years. And so he does some quick calculations and Daniel was taken into captivity, uh, we believe in 605 BC. So down to 538, it's been some 67 years, something like that. That uh, And Daniel reads that it's only going to be 70 years. It could be 68 years even. Um, so he realizes that the duration of the being taken from Jerusalem is about to end. At least it's in sight um, coming up within the next year or two. And so the first thing Daniel does in response to this is that he humbles himself and goes before the Lord in prayer. And today we'll see why Daniel goes before the Lord in prayer, um, all the way back from the time of Moses. But anyway, he goes, he, he humbles himself, he goes with fasting, sackcloth and ashes, and so Daniel humbles himself before the Lord and he begins um, by acknowledging who God is, that God is, um, the, keeps his covenants, and that he's righteous in all that he does. He begins this 
recounting of who God is. And then, in light of that, Daniel begins to confess not only his sin, but the sins of all of Israel. He um, acknowledges and, and, and he says, we have sinned, meaning he identifies with the sinful people of Israel. And, and we look back, and Daniel is probably, at this time, the most righteous man there is alive. You know, born and during the reign of King Josiah, who was a good king, the greatest king uh, of all the kings of Israel, the scripture says, meaning he's greater than King David, who had a heart after God. Um, Josiah, raised during that generation, learned the scriptures, learned the ordinances, um, taken into captivity, and remains faithful to what he learned under King Josiah, and that he won't eat the king's food, and he won't eat the king's meat, and God gives him this uh, ability to interpret dreams, and even uh, God gives him the dreams. So all this amazing stuff that God does through the life of Daniel, all during the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar, into the reign of Belshazzar, and now under the reign of Darius, as the Persians have come in, and God continues um, to keep Daniel faithful, yet he identifies with his people and says, we have sinned greatly. And, and so we, we came to that point in verse 8 last week where Daniel says, and to you belongs glory and honor, to us belongs open shame. We get what we deserve. Before all the nations, we are shamed because we have sinned so greatly against you. So that's where I want to pick up this morning is begin reading in verse 8, and we'll read all the way down really to the end of this prayer in verse 16. And so Daniel chapter 9, beginning in verse 8, there the scripture reads, Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong compassion and forgiveness, for we have rebelled against him, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants and through his servants and the prophets. Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice, so the curse has been poured out on us along with the oath in which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. Thus he has confirmed his words which he had spoken against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity for under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what was done in Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds, which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who, is, who have brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and have made a name for yourself, as it, as it is this day, we have sinned 
we have been wicked. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let, us, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and our iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all those around us. So not quite to the end of the prayer, but you, you get the picture that Daniel is praying to God and remembers what happened before. So I want to walk through this in detail, and you'll see why is it that when Daniel heard that 70 years were about completed for the desolation of Jerusalem, why does he go to the Lord in prayer and begin to confess the sins of Israel? It's for a very, very specific reason. And so we'll see that this morning so having confessed um, Israel's sins um, in the previous verses leading up to verse 8, Daniel speaks of this open shame, and then he begins to speak of how different God is from the people of Israel. And he says, to God belong compassion and forgiveness. So you... you Try to, okay, what is, what is Daniel saying when he says that we have sinned, yet God is compassionate and he forgives sins? Um, he doesn't just do that without the people coming to an understanding, coming to a particular point and place. And so that's what Daniel is praying for. You talk about compassion and it speaks of concern or sympathy for someone, um, that you, you treat them kindly. Um, and then you talk about forgiveness, which is related to taking pity on someone, understanding their plight and being merciful to them. So when he speaks of God being compassionate, that God would be concerned for these people who've rebelled against him and that God would take pity on them and be merciful towards them. So that's what Daniel begins to think in his mind. Would God do this? And he begins to remember what God had said in the past. And so that's what he begins to speak about. It's also the thing that Israel needs the most at this point. I mean, they've been in captivity for almost 70 years. Their land has become desolate. Um, and we'll see some of that this morning. We'll actually turn, if we get that far, to the book of Lamentations and see what Jerusalem looked like during this time in which Daniel's writing. Um, actually, before that, but what had become of the, the land of Judah and the city of Jerusalem. So Israel is in need of the kindness and the mercy of God. Daniel, so Daniel begins to speak of how those are God's attributes. That's what defines him, is mercy and kindness and forgiveness. And so, but Daniel understands that the people and he himself have been sinful. And so he begins to spell this out in verse 10 and specifically talk about what they have done. And 
of how they have not listened to the voice of God. And God clearly made it known to Israel what was required of them through his prophets, the greatest of which was Moses. Um, the first and the greatest prophet writing the Pentateuch and clearly delineating to the Israelites what God required in the covenant that he established with them. I mean, there's no, there's no way that the Jews did not know what God required and that if they did not do it, what the penalty for it was. It is clearly delineated in the writings of Moses. And so Daniel begins to write about the prophets and the servants, the servants of God, who gave the people all the words that God had given to them. I mean, we have later prophets. You know, you have Isaiah who speaks of a lot of different things, but certainly the coming calamity that will come on all of Israel, both the northern and the southern tribes, and then speaks of some future times when things will be restored. You have Jeremiah who um, prophesied to the people of Judah before and after the, um, the siege of Jerusalem that all of this was going to happen. You have Ezekiel who came and um, he, while he was in Babylon explained to the people exactly why God had taken allowed Nebuchadnezzar to overthrow them and conquer them and really decimate them, killing most of the Jews that were alive at that time, and then took the rest into captivity. So you have these prophets who spelled out the penalty that would come on Israel if they did not obey God. They had the example of the northern tribes who had been taken into captivity some 150 years earlier by the Assyrians, and so they could see what the judgment of God looked like, and yet they did not heed it. They did not listen to what the prophets had written. And so the reason I begin to speak about Moses being the greatest prophet and being the one who gave the word of God is because that's where Daniel's mind goes. That's where this passage goes as he continues to um, speak about the sin of Israel. He says in verse 11, Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the curse has been poured out on us. So he's talking about something very, very specific that he recognizes God has poured out on them. And then he, he goes on and he talks about the calamity for under the whole heaven, not anything like this has happened that was done to Jerusalem. So the worst thing that has ever happened in the history of mankind has happened to Jerusalem. That's Daniel's perspective of what he sees here. And then in verse 13, he says, as it is written in the law of Moses. So Daniel is going way back. I mean, Moses was the one who was there when God took Israel out of Egypt, right? Really constituted the nation of Israel. All the way back in 1445 B.C., some 900 years before 
Daniel is writing what he's writing here. And then if you look at all the history of Israel, you only have another 600 years before they came out of Egypt. 430 of that was spent in Egypt. So Israel, all the way back to Abraham, there's only 170 years. Then you have Egypt, and then you have Moses leading them out and becoming a nation. And that's where Daniel's mind goes, all the way back to when Moses led Israel out of Egypt, God led them out, and gave Moses the Mosaic Law, which he wrote down in the, Pent in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the scriptures, which the Jews know as the Torah, the law. And so that's where Daniel's mind goes. He goes all the way back to what Moses wrote down and so I want to turn and look at that because he's talking, when he says the curse has been poured out on us, he means something very, very specific that Moses wrote down. So all the way back in Leviticus chapter 26, this is where Daniel's mind goes. Um, being a righteous man, having been brought up in the, really one of the best generations that he could have been brought up in, under the reign of Josiah. He has studied these books before. And we could turn to Leviticus, um, or we could turn to Deuteronomy. It's in both, but I want to turn just to Leviticus 26 today. Wrote about What happened to Israel? Now these things happened to them as an example, but were written down for our instruction, the church. Right. And there's a warning in there, isn't there? Oh, yeah. David's about to just unpack the warning in real life, in the life of Israel. You know, and we saw last week that, um, I can't remember the specific verse, but we referred um, over to the New Testament where God always causes all things to work together for good. For who? For those who love him. And the same thing was true in the Old Testament that what God, as you have love for God, that is what causes you to obey and to follow after the scriptures. Because, I mean, what did Jesus say? If you love me, You'll keep my commandments. So all of this, the obedience that was required in the Old Testament, that's required in the New Testament, all is birthed in the love that we have for God. And that's what was missing in Israel, is they had no respect, no uh, recognition of who God was, how gracious he had been to them, no acknowledgement of that whatsoever, no love for God. Okay, yeah, well.
and the good. And yeah. sends rain on the just and the unjust. And that is just a beautiful picture of our merciful God for people who absolutely hate him with all their heart and soul. Which is the world today. I mean, the judgment of God, why hasn't it been poured out, is only because God has a plan. And he'll pour out perfect justice, ultimately. Okay, in Leviticus 26, this could not be more explicit. So at the beginning of the chapter of Leviticus 26, there are great blessings if Israel is obedient to God. Um, you see, he begins to recount a subset of the, um, of the Ten Commandments. You shall not make for yourselves idols, nor set up for yourselves an image or a sacred pillar, nor shall you place a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments so as to carry them out, then I shall give you rains in their season so that the land will yield its produce and the fruits will bear their trees. And then he talks about the threshing will go on until the grapes are brought in and then that'll go on until the sowing is done and then that'll go on until the threshing begins again and then the grapes and you'll have plenty. The land will be bountiful and the blessings of God will be on you. If you, go out, if you chase your enemies, then um, five of you will chase a hundred of them, and a thousand, 10,000 of you will chase a million of them. And, you know, it goes on about how God will help them and bless them and protect them. Um, you see in verse 10, you will eat the old supply and clear out um, because of the new, meaning God is continuing to pour blessings on them. Um, Moreover, I will make you my dwelling among you, and my soul will not reject you. I will walk among you and, you and be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt so that you would not be their slaves, and I broke the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. So this is God speaking to Moses about the exodus and about the blessings that he's going to pour out on Israel if they will but obey him. It's that simple. Keep my ordinances and my commandments, and these blessings will be yours. But then, the curse. So this is what Daniel is referring to when he says the curse that was written in the law of Moses. Look at this. This is outrageous. Beginning in verse 14. But if you do not obey me and do not carry out all these commandments, if instead you reject my statutes and if your soul abhors my ordinances so as not to carry out all my commandments and so break my covenant, I in turn will do this to you. I will appoint over you a sudden terror, consumption and fever that will waste away the eyes and cause the soul to pine away also you will sow your seed uselessly for your enemies will eat it up. I will set my face against you so that you will be struck down before your enemies and those who hate you 
will rule over you and you will flee when no one is pursuing you. If also after these things you do not obey me, then I'll punish you seven times more for your sins. I'll also break down your pride of power. I'll also make your sky like iron and your earth like bronze. Your strength will be spent uselessly for your land will not yield its produce and the trees of the land will not yield their fruit. If then you act with hostility against me and are unwilling to obey me, I will increase the plague on you seven times according to your sins. I mean, this just goes on. I will let loose among you the beasts of the field which will bereave you of bereave you of your children and destroy your cattle and reduce your number so that your roads lie deserted. And if by these things you are not turned to me, but act with hostility against me, then I will act with hostility against you. And I, even I, will strike you seven times for your sins. I'll bring also... I'll also bring upon you a sword which will execute vengeance for the covenant. And when you gather together into your cities, I will send pestilence among you so that you shall be delivered into enemies' hands. When I break your staff of bread, bread, ten women will bake your bread in one oven and they will bring your bread back in rationed amounts so that you will eat it and not be satisfied. Yet in spite of this, you do not obey me, but act with hostility against me. Then I will act with wrathful hostility against you, and I, even I, will punish you seven times for your sins. (coughs) For you will eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters you will eat. I will then destroy you destroy your high places and cut down your incense altars and heap your remains on the remains of your idols for my soul shall abhor you. I will lay waste your cities as well as make your sanctuaries desolate and I will not smell your soothing aromas. I'll make the land desolate so that your enemies who settle in it will be appalled over it You, however, I will scatter among the nations and will draw out a sword against after you as your land becomes desolate and your cities become waste. I mean, how many times does God say, if you don't obey me, seven times I'll punish you. And if you don't still obey me, seven more times. And if you don't obey me, seven more times. And then ultimately I've had enough and your land becomes desolate, and you're taken to foreign lands. Exactly what happened in Judah and Jerusalem under Nebuchadnezzar. Now, there's this verse here that we should be appalled at, that verse 29, further you will eat the flesh of your sons, and the flesh of your daughters you will eat. Now, is that just figurative hyperbole? I don't think so. Turn over to Lamentations. And this Lamentations is Jeremiah walking through the streets 
of Jerusalem and describing what he sees. Lamentation's hard to find, right? Right there between uh, Jeremiah and Ezekiel. So look at the uh, Lamentations 2.20. This is Jeremiah walking through the streets of Jerusalem. See, O Lord, and look with whom you have dealt thus. Should women eat their offspring, the little ones who were born healthy? So there is cannibalism going on in Jerusalem. If that isn't enough, turn over to chapter 4 of Lamentations. And down in verse 10. The hands of compassionate women boiled their own children. They became food for them because of the destruction of the daughter of my people. So desolate in Jerusalem and so lacking any food for anybody to eat that they resort to cannibalism. And Jeremiah sees it and describes it. And this is the curse that God said would fall upon them if they did not obey him. So this is what Daniel's remembering. I mean, he's reading the book of Jeremiah. Surely that would have included Lamentations. He has in his mind all these things that God said would happen because he studied the Pentateuch when he was a child. He knows what it says. He knows this curse that's written in the book of Deuteronomy that Moses wrote. So he refers back to it when he recounts the sins of Israel. And this is exactly what has happened to them. Cut off for, for a year and a half. They have no food. And then they destroy the people. And those few who are left, who are just the poorest of the poor, because Nebuchadnezzar had no need for them, they resort to cannibalism. Because there's nothing else to eat. The land, and not only Jerusalem, but all the lands around it are desolate. So desolate that if an enemy comes and decides to camp there and set up you know, residence there, he'll be appalled at how desolate the place is. But as I told you last week, yet in Jeremiah, God says, I won't let the land be destroyed completely. So it's almost complete, but God reserves something for Jerusalem. So here's this blessings if you obey me, curses if you don't. And then I want you to look at what follows the curse, because this is what Daniel is living. What follows this curse, beginning in, well, in 38 and 39, um, this goes, you know, this curse goes on, 38 and 39, but you will perish among the nations, and your enemy's land will consume you, so that those of you who may be left will rot away of their iniquity in the hands of, in the lands of your enemies and also because of the iniquities of their forefathers they will rot away for them so this is what daniel is living they've been there for 67 years he's seen many of the people who came with him die in a foreign land they'll rot away 
in a foreign land. This is the curse of God on the nation of Israel because they did not obey him. But then, amazingly, after that, beginning in verse 40, look at what God gave to Moses. If they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their forefathers in their unfaithfulness, which they committed against me, and also in their acting with hostility against me, I also was acting with hostility against them to bring them into the land of their enemies, or if their uncircumcised heart becomes humbled so that they make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and I will remember my covenant with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham as well, and I will remember the land, for the land will be abandoned by them and will make up for its Sabbaths while it may why it was made desolate without them. And then he talks about bringing them back to their land. So here's God. After, if you obey me, here's this. If you don't obey me, here's the curse that has been exacted through the hand of Nebuchadnezzar because of the sins of Israel. And Daniel sees it. He recognizes it as the curse. And then he sees, he knows that this passage follows if you'll humble yourself and confess your iniquity. So what is Daniel doing in in the few years before the 70th year? He humbles himself in fasting, sackcloth, and ashes, and begins to confess the sins of Israel, says, my sins, we have sinned, identifying with not only present Israel, but all the history of Israel and all the iniquity and confesses that before God because if they do, then God will do what he says here. And he'll forgive them. He'll remember his covenant that he gave to Jacob, to Isaac, to Abraham. And when we walk through the God's plan for the land, we saw that, that the promises that God gave to Abraham He repeated to Isaac all of the promises. He repeats them. And then when you come to Jacob, God repeats them again to Jacob. And so that's why here Moses says the the promises that you gave to Jacob, to Isaac, and to Abraham. Because they're repeated to all of them. So he goes all the way back to the beginning before Israel was even a nation. This is all in the mind of Daniel. And so he begins to recount the iniquity and the sin. And that's what we've seen through these verses. And then he says, this is the curse. And here's the curse laid out in Leviticus. It couldn't be any more clear. Moses wrote it. And then you come over to Deuteronomy where he reads this in the hearing of all the people. So Israel has no excuse. And then you have Josiah who's a, mighty and great king in the midst of sinning Israel and turns their hearts back to the Lord just a few years before Nebuchadnezzar comes in. And so they are reminded of all these things. And Daniel's raised up in them. And so they're in his mind and in his heart. And he recognizes over in Daniel chapter 9 what is happening, what has happened, and what God says will happen 
if they'll but humble themselves and confess their sins. Yeah, so, so when you pray for the United States, which I hope you do, then you have to, like Daniel say, we have sinned. You have to identify with the sin of the nation and confess it before the Lord. But God has a great plan that he's working. And we don't know when and where and how that plan will work out. We know what will happen but we just don't know when. And so you can just imagine Daniel, this righteous, holy man in sackcloth and ashes, pouring his heart out before the Lord, confessing the sins of his people, confessing the sins of his forefathers, because that's what God requires, and says, we have sinned greatly. We have acted wickedly. And so the curse has been poured out on us. But you'll see, not this morning, but hopefully next time if the Lord wills, how, God call, how Daniel calls upon God to restore what has been destroyed. And he prays for three specific things. And we'll see this next time, that he prays, for the city of Jerusalem, literally, the city. He prays for the sanctuary of God, and he prays for the people of the nation. Those three things. And then you see, when Gabriel comes and stands before Daniel, those are the three things that he addresses. The city, the sanctuary, and the people. And that's... People miss it because they skip over the prayer of Daniel. You skip over everything that's coming, that he's saying before, and you go right to the eschatology, right? You can't because Daniel has perspective, and he's praying for things, and then God answers his prayer with a prophecy of what will happen in the near term, in the medium term, and in the ultimate long term. All three of those or in God's answer to Daniel. And we'll see that. And so you have to have that in your mind. This is why I said seven and eight are so important. They're foundational. The prayer of Daniel is crucial that we walk through it. Otherwise, you get the eschatology wrong because you have the wrong perspective as you come into it. But if you have the perspective that Daniel had, then you'll see why God told him what he told him. And it'll, it makes more sense. Because God's answering this prayer that we're walking through. So just to kind of finish this morning, in, in verse 11, Daniel remembers 
the Moses and the law of God. And then in verse 12, he says that God has confirmed this calamity. What he said he would do, he has done. And then amazingly, we'll talk about this as we begin next time. <laughs> what Daniel says is that as God has done this, it has shown his righteousness. In the punishment of Israel, the righteousness of God has been demonstrated. So how, how does that make sense? We'll talk about that because righteous God has done what he said he would do. And God is all the time, in all ways, good and righteous. He is the very definition of morality and goodness. And so we need to walk through this as Daniel acknowledges that. And what we've gotten, we deserved. Because you told us this is what you would do. And now you've done it. It's amazing. This prayer of Daniel is just, if, you, if you're willing to walk through it and look at all that it contains, is, is amazing what this righteous man is praying. And it's a, it's a template for how we should be praying. Well, and how do you know you're a child of God? Because he's chastised you, right? How do your kids know that you're their parents? Because you chastised them. No greater love. Thanks for your time. Never. Never. Well, that, uh, you, so you've been reading ahead because if you read